By way of reminder, our children are dismissed to Children's Church. All children grades two and below can head off to Children's Church. You know things are getting back to normal when you can hear that ruckus back in the church again. I wouldn't trade it for the world. If I can get you to remain standing for just a moment, we are going to take a break from the book of Ezekiel for the next about month or so as we have Thanksgiving, kind of our little Thanksgiving celebration today. And then we're going to go into a time where we're going to focus on Christmas and, and the season that we are, uh, uh, that is upon us, you'll notice that I don't do Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving as the Lord intended. <laughs> so turn with me now into to Psalm 138. And as I have you all standing in reverence for the word, let us hear what the, Lord, the, word, the word of the Lord is. It says this, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when, you have, when they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Amen. Please be seated. As you may or may not know, the book of Psalms served as a songbook for the nation of Israel, as well as even the church, even Christians, for many generations thereafter. One thing you may not have considered or may not really think about, but somebody at some point had to decide the order that the songs appeared in the book of Psalms and why. See, as we open up the book of Psalms, we can discover very quickly that they are not in any sort of chronological order. There are Psalms of David, and there are Psalms that are even come from Solomon, and for the Psalms of Korah, even songs that were written by Moses, and, and we see them first in the, the first five books of the Bible, and then later in the book of Psalms. But they're kind of all over the place. And we might kind of start to wonder, well, why are they in the order that they are? Now, maybe you've never thought of this. Maybe this is just me thinking in my weird brain sometimes where I look and go, huh, I wonder why that is. I'll be honest. I wonder the same question about our hymn book. We have this book full of songs that range the 2,000 years of the church. Who decides what's number one? In fact, in the 2008 hymnal, which you will find in your pew with you, the number one hymn is, Praise the Lord, the Almighty. But if we go back to the old hymn book, if you can find one in the church building somewhere, there's not even a number one. The hymn book starts with the actual songs is number two. Who decides that? 
And then there's the really hard question of which psalm do, or which, which song in our hymn book do we put as hymn number 666? I don't, want to, I don't want the song I wrote to be on that one. I'm not sure if Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman put in a request not for that one. Maybe we thought, well, we'll give it to a Methodist, so we'll put a, a Charles Wesley in there. In case you're wondering, 666 is uh, we have come into this house. I'm sure that that person would not be thrilled to know that was the number that he was assigned. We may kind of lead ourselves to the conclusion that there is no order. Except if we look at our hymn book, we begin to recognize that all the hymns are ordered in a certain way. And they all follow a certain theme. That's why in the weeks to come, Joe knows the exact range of the hymns that he's going to be singing because they are the Christmas hymns. And he's going to do the Advent hymns, and then he's going to do the Jesus is Born hymns, and then he's going to do the Wise Men hymns. So there's some order to what we do, and I think that's also true when we look at the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is actually five books, don't know if you knew that, consisting of 150 Psalms. And we look, and, and the first few books of the book of Psalms that we see in there are almost exclusively Psalms of David, things that he wrote. As we progress, we begin to see different psalms start to pop up, including some of David's psalms. By the time we get to Psalm 119, we have this massive song, worshiping and cherishing the Word of God, to be immediately followed by 15 songs of ascent. 15 songs that the nation of Israel would sing as they went to Jerusalem. If you lived in a place like Galilee, or even much closer like Jericho, as you went up the hill and as you made your way towards the temple to worship God in Jerusalem, there were songs that you sang. And they knew what those were, and they were the 15 psalms that followed Psalm 119, Psalm 120 through 135. Shortly thereafter, we come upon Psalm 138. It is a psalm of David, not attached to the first two books like we would expect. It is a song of thanksgiving for God and all that he has done for David the king. But take just a moment, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to look, flip over just a page if you even need to. And I want you to look at Psalm 137. Now, we're not going to read it, but I just want you to maybe peruse it for a moment. And if you don't have your Bible with you, I could just, I'll say two things. One, don't worry, I'm going to say something. Two, there are tons of Bible apps for your phone. So if you have a phone, get a Bible app, they're great, and then you'll have a clue what I'm talking about. But Psalm 137 is extra, extraordinarily different from Psalm 138. 137 is a song that comes out of the captivity of Israel. And in this song, we hear of, a, of the psalmist longing for home, wishing for Jerusalem, and being mocked by those who had carried him off into exile as they demanded a song from their prisoners. Psalm 137, based on the clues that we get from it, verse 1 that says, By the river of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion could very well have been written at the same time as Ezekiel, who we've been studying. 
If you remember all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 1, that is where Ezekiel began to have his visions and when he was assigned the mission and the role of a prophet as he was by the river in Babylon. And if you look at this song, you see it as a sorrowful and yet hopeful song from a writer who is in exile. You may not realize it, but when you open up, open up the book of Psalms, sometimes we sing the blues. Verse 4 says this, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And the reason I bring this up is because I don't think it was an accident that the people who compiled the book of Psalms chose to follow this particular song with a song to remember how good the Lord is and how even in strife and struggle and sorrow, we have much to be thankful for. And in a lot of ways, that makes Psalm 138 all the more fitting for us today. I don't know if you have noticed it, or maybe I'm just being a little defensive and paranoid, but it has definitely seemed like this year we have been in a hurry to get to Christmas. It has been a rush. I don't know if you were out on Halloween day, maybe getting those last bits uh, of candy, or even just the, the Saturday before, I think it was. Our church did some outreaches that related to, to trick-or-treating, and so we were trying to get as much candy as we could. And as I'm running into Walmart to see what last few bags of candy I can grab before trick-or-treating started that night, I had to jump over boxes of tinsels and fake trees and, and candy canes. We have seen it pushed on us hardcore, more than I think I've ever noticed before. As we get onto social media, we see so many people talking, if not bragging, about the fact that as soon as the kids' candy was back in the home, the Christmas trees went up. Pictures of them popping all over the place. And if that's one of you, there's nothing wrong with that. Just so you don't get offended. I don't care when you put your tree up. I don't care if you keep it up all the time. I've seen people that just take their tree and put a trash bag over it and push it off into a closet somewhere. You do you. That sounds wonderful. But I have to make memories. I don't care. However, we see this pressure to jump right into Christmas. Even the news is warning us about supply chains that are disrupted and there may not be toys on the shelves when we get to Christmas time. And all of that is pushing us to start doing all of it now. Let's run into Christmas and time for Thanksgiving and the holiday that we are celebrating right now become little more than an afterthought. Most of us view Turkey Day or Thanksgiving as a speed bump on the highway of Christmas. But I want to propose to you today that maybe, just maybe, the best thing that we could possibly do as the church, best thing that we can do for us, for our own mental health, for our sanity, and for our families is to stop and take time to give thanks. 
Many of us know that one of the main reasons why we are in such a rush to get to Christmas is because this year has been so rough. And so we want to get to the things of the Christmas carols and the lights and the happy things because we're hoping that that might make this year better. Maybe because this year is so rough, you're asking yourself the question, what is there to be thankful for? Well, in the words of our former pastor, Nathan, I'm so glad you asked. Because I think our psalm today gives us an answer that will apply to all of us. The first thing we see from our passage today is we can give thanks because God is greater than all. It is King David who is writing this psalm. And we really don't get much of a, of a hint as to when he is writing it. The way he talks could put it in more than one period in his life and could mean more than one thing. Possibly he was writing this while still on the run from Saul. There was a season in David's life where, where he was an outlaw in the nation of Israel. Saul, the king, was wanting to murder him. And so what David ultimately did was he sold his, his services, so to speak. He was a mercenary for the Philistines. And he marched with them and, and he was a part of their company and band. Now, he never went head to head against his own people, but he served a foreign nation who worshipped foreign gods. And so as we read in the beginning of our passage how he would sing praises to God before all the other gods around him, it could be talking about this time. It could also just be talking about his reign as king. David was a, a king who established the nation of Israel in the midst of all of these other nations that were pagan nations around them. There were the Philistines, there was the Amalekites, there was the Amorites, there was all sorts of other people around him. And they were the only worshipers of Yahweh God in the midst of this entire region of the world. And so why everyone around them was worshiping gods like Dagon and Baal, the nation of Israel was exclusively worshiping God alone. Regardless of when he wrote this, he presents the idea that he is surrounded by the worship of foreign gods, whether they were the Philistines or the pagan nations that surrounded the nation. And he declares, I will sing praises to you before all the other gods that are around me. Regardless of his situation, David chose to give thanks and to worship the God that we know. You might ask why. What reason does, does David give for his, his worship of God? And, you know, again, we don't know the specific context, but he gives us a bit of an answer. And that is this, because he is the only one worthy of that praise and thanksgiving. See, I want you to recognize this, that when, when David says, I will worship you before all the other gods that are around me, he is saying that in a sense of, I am worshiping you in defiance of them. I do not care what is around me. I do not care of the pressures from without. I will worship you alone. And there is a reason for that. It is not because he thinks, well, I just think this God, you know, I just think Yahweh God is like the best God ever. And so I chose to worship him. No, he's saying that because all of the rest of the gods that surround him and all of the rest of these worshipers are worshiping nonsense. There is nothing else worthy of your praise and your worship, only Yahweh God alone. We can even see this communicated in Isaiah chapter 44. There becomes a passage where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he begins to mock the foolishness of idolatry. 
And he talks about how silly it is and how silly what it is. I want to read just one verse to you. Isaiah 44, 19, he kind of sums all of it up and he says this. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of this wood in the fire, and I have baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and ate it. Then I took the rest of it and turned it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. And a lot of what's funny and what's interesting about this is when we talk about Thanksgiving, we have to acknowledge that we're giving someone thanks. When we do Thanksgiving, we are saying thanks to someone. See, this is one of the reasons why I think that that the world around us is so quick to want to pass over Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving is inherently theistic. We are recognizing the reality that all the things that we have in our lives are blessings that we should be thankful for. And the world recognizes that in order for us to be thankful, we have to have something to thank. We have to have someone to thank. And Thanksgiving is really not that great if our Thanksgiving is good job. Because Thanksgiving, we're not patting ourselves on the back, are we? No, when we have Thanksgiving, we are recognizing that there is a supreme being, that there is a deity out there that we, deserve, that we need to give thanks for, for the blessings that he has given us. I don't think the world likes that. But we get to do that. We are thankful for things, to be sure, but we are thankful to the God who has given us these blessings and these gifts. We ought to stop and be thankful, if anything, because we know the God who cares for us, who provides for us, and and who knows us by name. Nothing compares to him. Not only should we give thanks because we know the God of heaven and earth, the God who is greater than all other things, but we should give thanks because that same God is already victorious. I want you to look again at verse 4. In verse 4, we read these words. It says, All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. David also knew that there would come a day when everyone, including the kings of the foreign Gentile lands that surrounded him, to even us, that they would hear the word of the Lord and they would, res- and they would surrender themselves to the Lord Almighty. We hear this promise in the New Testament as well. If we go to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we read, Being found in the appearance of man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. David speaks to this very thing. Now you may ask, well, what does that have to do with today and why we should give thanks today? And I want to let you know, here's why it matters. 
See, for many of us, life again seems out of control, doesn't it? We felt that, I mean, we've, maybe we felt like that a lot of times in our life, or we just felt like we were just spinning tires and life was out of control. And, and certainly when the pandemic hit and schools and jobs and, and everything seemed to be shut down and we couldn't gather and worship, we really felt like life was out of control. And then we kind of started to see things get better and we had hope, but then now suddenly things are beginning to spin out of control again. We have rioting, politics is horrible, the pandemic seems to not go away. Our leadership, both in the state and abroad, is a mess. And everything seems to be more difficult and more expensive than it has ever been before. And all of us are feeling that pressure. But God has had and will have and has always had victory over all of it. Yes, it is true, there will come a day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangels with the trumpet of God will come. And on that day, we will see fully what we can only now see dimly. And that is this, that God has never lost control nor relinquished his authority. We can be thankful because we know no matter how crazy our life is in this moment or has ever been, that there has never been a time where God's watchful eye has turned away from you. And if indeed you are in Christ, you have a father in heaven who knows you and is concerned about you. And he is doing something in your life to see you grow in your love for him and your faith for him. And he will see it through to the very, very end. That is some good news. I was hoping for an amen. I'm not going to lie. John 16, 33 says it this way. These things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. As we take time to stop and give thanks, no matter what's going on in your world, no matter how upside down your life may feel, you still have a God who knows you and loves you and has not left you. That is a heck of a thing to be thankful for. There's still one more thing that I want us to see from this passage today as we take time to give thanks, and that is this. We can give thanks because there is a God who has redeemed us. Look again at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and by your right hand, you will save me. David knew that no matter what his situation was, whether foreign nations encamped, encamped against him or even his own family would scheme to take his throne, that God would be there to deliver him and to restore him. He knew this because God had made a promise to him that we actually read about in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 7. Verse 16 says, your house, this is God speaking to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever. This promise, which was a promise to David and to his throne is actually a promise that even extends to us today. 
regarding David and his kingdom. Because it is this promise that pointed to David that one day there would be a Messiah, an anointed one who would come and sit on the throne of David. He would be God in the flesh, Emmanuel, that we will sing about very soon. We know him as Jesus. David knew that he would not be abandoned by God because God would forever keep his promises. And we can also know that God will not abandon us either because he has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save us, and to seal us with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the greatest reason to be thankful and it has very little to do with good food or a roof over our heads. We are thankful because we have a God who has loved us enough to restore our relationship with him through Christ Jesus. If we have anything in the world to be thankful for, if we have any reason to each and every day, every day wake up and be thankful, it is because of this. We have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is some good news. And it reminds us today that we have a reason to be thankful. We have, more than anyone else in the world, a reason to stop and be thankful. Because the Lord is our God. But here is the best news. That reason to be thankful is not exclusive to anyone, but it is offered freely to everyone. See, as we stop for a moment, and this day and also this week, we stop and are thankful for all that God has done. You may be in this room and say, well, that's all well and good, but I don't have any of that. Well, I have good news for you today. The salvation that, that, that we have experienced through Christ, the relationship with God that, that, that we talk about and that we celebrate, the ability to know the God of heaven and earth is freely extended to you. The Bible explains it very easily. Well, I'm going to put up a, a, a graphic on the, the wall, Laney. And what we talk about here is we explain it this way. First off, God has a design. And we believe that the God that it mentions in this passage is a God who has created all things and that he made everything on purpose with a purpose. And that includes you. That you are not an accident. But God knows you and he made you and he has a reason for you being here. We would like to think that if we just did what God told us to do and we just stayed working according to God's design, we'd be good. But we don't. But like everyone else in this room, there's been some point in our life where we have said, I'm going to do my own thing. I know that God has a purpose for me, but I'm not quite convinced that his purpose is better than the purpose I could come up with on my own. So I'm going to leave God's design and I'm going to try and design, make my own design. And when we do that, that's called sin. And sin, you'll notice, is an error, which means it takes us somewhere and it takes us to a place called brokenness. If I try and use an iPad as a Frisbee, I'm going to end up with a broken iPad. 
And what I've learned is when I try to do my own thing with my own life, I ended up, I ended up with a broken me. And I can do a thousand things to try to cover up my brokenness, to hide my brokenness, to fix my brokenness. But I recognize that, my bro- that because I'm the one that's broken, I can't get out of the broken. I heard a, a guy say this last week at the, the cross thing. He says, you can't put out a fire from inside the house. It's got to be something outside the house that puts out that fire. And so it has to be something outside of our brokenness that fixed that brokenness. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. Now, you've already heard that a little bit today. But the gospel is the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the grave three days later. And he did those things to pay the price for our sin and our brokenness. And the Bible says that if we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we'll be saved. Romans 10, 9 says it this way, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so the thing that is going to deliver us from our brokenness is first believing that Jesus is exactly who he said he was that he was God in the flesh, that he did leave that, live that perfect life, that he did die on that cross, and most importantly, that he did rise from the grave. And then we have to do this thing called repenting. You'll notice those arrows are pointed in two different directions there because repent means we turn away from our sin and we begin to follow Jesus. And that's what it means to confess Jesus as the Lord. The Bible says that when we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will begin to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. And so here's the deal. You need to ask yourself, where am I on this picture? I'll help you out a little bit. None of us are in God's design. None of us. Everyone in this room has sinned. We've gone, walked away from God to do our own thing. The question is, have you repented and believed? Or are you still in brokenness? And only you can answer that question. But I plead with you today, before you take one bite of turkey, before you take one scoop of mashed potatoes and put it on your plate, before you bury that pumpkin pie in whipped cream, ask yourself this question. What is keeping me from giving my life to Jesus? And if the answer is nothing, then we invite you to do that today. And we can do that. What we're going to do is we're going to close out our service and Joe's going to come up and and sing a song and I'm going to stand right here. And if God has spoken to you today, maybe you need to give your life to Christ. You can come up and talk to me, but you actually don't have to. I'm sure that you came with somebody who can share with you what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If not, you can get somebody and come talk to me even after the service. Maybe you want to come forward because you have not been thankful and you want to repent and to get yourself out of a a, a broken cycle and begin to trust in the Lord all the more. Maybe God is working in your life in some way and you need prayer or you need to make a decision for Christ today. Whatever God is doing in your life and in your heart right now, we invite you to respond to the Lord. But like I said, don't wait. Because when we leave here and there's turkey and there's stuffing or, or whatever it is, and you're out the door, you're, you might forget. 
So ask yourself right now, what's stopping me? And then make that decision. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for all that you are and all that you have done. God, in this week where we celebrate uh, Thanksgiving, God, I pray that we will take a step back, that we will stop and recognize all that we have to be thankful for. And God, even in a world where everything seems turned upside down, where so many of us are struggling for a thousand different reasons, God, I pray that we will stop for a moment and recognize that you are still good that you are still in control, that you have, no matter what the world is throwing at us now, that you have overcome the world and that you have made us your people through the gospel. And God, I pray that we will give thanks to you with all of our hearts and that we will celebrate the God that we serve. God, I know for many in this room today, that means crying out to you for the very first time. And God, I pray that even now your spirit is convicting them of sin. God, I pray that even now they have a desire to know you the way that, that, that some of us know you. And God, I pray that they will today surrender their lives to Jesus so that they will celebrate Thanksgiving because of their new life in Christ. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.